Are you struggling with your private practice? Do you need ideas about how to expand and grow your mental health practice? Would you like to listen to seasoned experts share their successful strategies and story of success? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Psych Biz Season 2. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a wonderful episode to share with you. Today, Howard and I are speaking with Jane Travis. Jane was previously a counselor, and now she specializes in helping therapists to grow their practice and connect with more clients. Jane runs the Grow Your Private Practice Club, where she has a comprehensive training library, interactive workshops, and therapists have the opportunity to connect with their peers. Um, It's kind of like a one-stop shop for counselor-specific marketing advice, training, workshops, and resources. And also, it's a place where therapists can meet and share support and connect. And since Jane was a therapist herself for so many years, she really understands what it's like, and she's able to tweak different marketing principles to really make them therapist-friendly. And she makes it her goal to tailor the marketing process to your strengths and to simplify the whole process so that you can really focus on your time with your clients, but then also do marketing successfully. Jane also is the author of the Grow Your Private Practice book, which is all about increasing your confidence by taking action. And in addition to all of those wonderful qualities, Jane is also a tremendously nice person, and I've been super lucky to be connected with her for quite some time. And I've given workshops in her Grow Your Private Practice club and also just had the benefit of talking to Jane and learning from her over the many, many months that she and I have been acquainted. And I can't think of anyone better to talk to us about how marketing can really be done in a way that is comfortable for therapists and also super successful. And I think that everyone is going to have so much to learn from Jane and really benefit from today's episode. So I hope you enjoy it a lot. And Howard and I really had a great time talking with her. So let's dive in. Hi, everybody. And Jane, Travis is with us today. Hi, Jane. Hi there. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Howard. Hi, listeners. (laughs) We are so, so excited to have you with us today. And I think we're going to have an amazing conversation. Um, I loved being on your podcast not so long ago, and we're so excited that now you can come and be with us. Um, Do you want to just take a minute and kind of introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a a little bit more about what you do and and how you help people. I'd love to. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on to do your podcast. It really is an honour to come and do this. Um, It's lovely speaking to other people and other counsellors. And when you came and did a podcast for me, it was so popular. So thank you so much for that. So... (laughs) I'm Jane Travis, and I am an ex-counsellor who now helps other counsellors. So I was a counsellor for 14 years and um, loved it, as we tend to do. And it's a bit of a long story. I'll I'll keep it a little little bit short. We don't mind long stories. (laughs) Don't yet. Oh, my goodness. Settle in then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I never wanted to be a full-time counsellor. I never wanted to be just a full-time counsellor that worked like your average you know, full-time counsellor hours, because I find it incredibly, it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard work. And I had two young kids at the time and it was like, no, I need to have something where I can be a counsellor because I love it and something that goes at the side of it. And I was always looking for a job that would do, would sort of be um, around the skills that I have of being a counsellor. So something to do with helping other counsellors or 
And I, I went through all sorts of different ideas of things that I could do. And through my time of learning lots of things about running a business, I got a bit obsessed with marketing. I absolutely love marketing. I love the creativity. I love the connection. You know, I, I really, really enjoy it. And so being a bit obsessed with it, I learned all about blogging and websites, social media and all the good things. And I thought maybe I could share this with other counsellors. So that's long story short, like I say, that's what I did. So I started off with a Facebook group and I built up a Facebook group. And then um, I started, it was three years ago, I started the Grow Your Private Practice membership, which is a membership, obviously a monthly membership where people pay monthly and there's loads of information and training and uh, courses and workshops and coaching calls and we've got lots going on there and a and a private sort of community as well so I've, I've been doing that for the last three years and I've, I'm not a counsellor anymore actually I finished about 18 months ago and this is now the thing that I devote my time to so so that's me that's what I do that's amazing that's so great and I think hearing a little bit about your story and kind of the way that your career progressed and grew and kind of changed over time is a great way to kind of start talking about what we wanted to kind of focus on today, which is the way that imposter syndrome and unrealistic expectations about, you know, what you're going to accomplish as a counselor and the way that your career is going to go can kind of hold people back. Um, So I don't know, how would you like to kind of tell us a little bit about how do you see this problem presenting itself? Like you work with so many counselors, you have so many people come to you for help. So what does this problem look like? What are the things that people are saying and and experiencing that that you see commonly? Um, And it is very common. This is something that I think is difficult. And it is difficult for counselors. I think it's difficult for all business owners as well. But I do suspect that as counselors, it might be a little bit more difficult for us because as counselors, we can often help other people with exactly this thing. So we might have somebody in the counselling room with issues around imposter syndrome or not feeling good enough or, you know, that sort of thing. We help them with that. So when we feel it ourselves, it can kind of, it can rock us a little bit, can't it? Like that can really impact on the imposter syndrome of clearly I'm a fake because I'm telling other people to do this, but I can't do it myself. So yeah, so I think it, you know, although being an you know, imposter syndrome is like natural. In fact, I did hear that only people who are either narcissistic or a psychopath don't struggle with it. So I don't know if that's true, but I did hear that and it did ring true because I think it's part of the human condition to to doubt ourselves a little bit. I don't know. But a lot what I hear a lot is people when it comes to things like blogging or social media, being worried that, oh, well, I've got nothing to say. Everything's been said. Why would people want to listen to me? What if people criticize me? Um, what if people think I'm showing off? You know, it can come out in lots and lots of different ways. But whatever way it comes out, the bottom line is it stops people from getting out there. It stops people from showing up, stops people from being visible. And that has an impact on your self-esteem and it has an impact on your business and your bottom line as well. Because of course, if you're not out there showing up and being seen and helping people and all of those things, people just don't know about you. And I think at the moment, there are so many counsellors out there, so many therapists, that we have to do something to stand out. We have to get out there and let people see us. So 
yeah, it can it can affect different people in different ways, I guess, according to their story. You know, um, I'm going to jump in here, uh, Jane. It, you know what I call it is I, I call it business countertransference, right? So in a way, we talk about clinical countertransference in terms of when somebody brings up material that is um, uncomfortable and, you know, triggers us personally. And we all as counselors and mental health experts know about that. But with business countertransference, it's about what you just said, right? Being afraid to maybe start a blog and, and be criticized by the public or other people or other colleagues about it. And I talk with practitioners all the time in my consulting business, and these are the common things they say, and it's all related to this post imposter process. Absolutely. And I think that I think there are so many fears around being in private practice, around being in business. There are so many fears, like I say, for everybody and especially for people, for counsellors. And I think a lot of the fears um, can very often kind of be kind of been drawn, kind of be drawn down to imposter syndrome. I think, you know, that's what a lot of it comes down to. So, you know, people can procrastinate or have problems with perfectionism or shiny object syndrome or, you know, all of these things. And I think it often really comes down to the crux of it is that feeling of, am I going to be found out as a fake? Am I going to be found out and humiliated? Am I going to be criticised? And that is completely understandable, isn't it? Who the hell would want to put that out into the world that, you know, so nobody would want to do that. So, but but just because we struggle with imposter syndrome and just because we struggle with these um, these issues doesn't mean to say we have to live with it, you know, that we can recognise that that's a problem and then we can work out different ways that we might be able to not even get rid of it, but learn how to do it scared, if you like, be able to not let it stop us from moving forward. What are and, some ways? What are some oh, ways I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. What are some ways to do it scared? Do it scared. Well, I think one of the ways to do it scared, if you want to go down the do it scared rate, I mean, I, I always love the feel the fear and do it anyway thing. I actually have a word of the year at the moment in the club and action is the word of the year because action is the antidote to fear, basically. So if you're really scared of doing something, so if you're really scared of writing a blog post, it might be like, oh, crikey, I don't know about that. I don't think I can do that. But it's not until you actually do the thing that you realise nothing bad will happen. So sometimes it's about really breaking it down to be very, very small steps that are, easy, that are achievable. But I don't know if you agree, but for me, I think the fear of doing it is obviously the, the thing that holds us back. But very often when we do the thing, nothing bad happens. It's like when you first go on social media, you think, oh my God, everybody's watching me. But they're not, are they? Nobody is. We're working hard to get noticed. So when you first go on social media, nobody notices. So um, taking that first step to just go, right, okay, I'm really going to be brave. I'm going to just post something. It's going to be small. And if, it, if it's not nice and if I don't like it, I can get rid of it and I can, I can delete it. So I suppose that's the way that I would say do it scared, just baby steps. Yeah, and I can really relate to the fear that people feel because social media so often is such a toxic environment. And, you know, you see people really get 
um, you know, there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of finger pointing. And so I think that I can personally really understand why someone feels hesitant to putting content out in any kind of, especially a social media platform, but even blogging or whatever. Um, so what do you say to people when they do get pushback or negative comment or, or, or how do people kind of come up with a mindset that prepares them that, you know, it's okay to have, you know, not everybody love what you put out there? That's a good question. And I think for me, I think the, the first thing I would say is that it happens so rarely. I think that for the majority of counsellors putting stuff out there, we're not really saying anything controversial. We're not putting something out there that's got massive opinions that might be something that people want to debate about. So the first thing is the chances of somebody coming back and having a negative response is very, very, very small. You'll be very unluck- unlucky if that happens. If it does happen, there there are ways that you can manage it. And it depends what it is. Sometimes you might just delete it. I would say that very often the best thing isn't to just delete it. I think it would be to respond to it and, you know, respond to it. Um, But I sometimes think that we need to trust ourselves a bit more and trust that we'll be able to deal with it. You know, I think that we have... We have a lot of skills and we have um, a lot within us that means that we would be able to deal with something like, you know, we deal with things all the time in life, don't we? And I think that should something like that happen, you, you would be able to deal with it. Now, that could be that you have a word with a friend or, you know, you have a word somewhere and say, oh, my God, this thing's happened. What, what do you think I should do? Or it might be that you just need to take 10 minutes to really think what you need to respond with. I suppose the worst thing is to just respond whilst you're in in a moment of like fear or anger, because then you end up saying something that you might regret. But if you just take a step back, but the chances of it happening are very, very slim. And I think sometimes we have to trust that we'll be able to handle it. I actually had an experience not that long ago that was very interesting to me um, because I post a lot on LinkedIn and I don't even, honestly, I don't even remember what the topic was of the post. It wasn't anything that you would think would be controversial or that you would think would get people, you know, agitated or whatever. I posted something and there were a lot of very positive comments, but one person was really bent out of shape and he said something fairly rude and I resisted the urge to immediately like write back something a little bit, you know, risky. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I held back and and I I I I responded just like thank you for sharing your opinion or something. And then I, I actually sent him a direct message and was like, thanks for commenting. And he actually wrote back and apologized to me privately and was like, you know, I'm having a really rough day. And I, I'm sorry for, you know, getting overly, uh, you know, out of line. And I, it was fine, but it was such an interesting experience because you see that negative, really kind of aggressive type of comment and you're like, oh my gosh, like this person hates me. But really that's not the case. And like, it's really not as bad. Like it feels bad at first, but then you kind of get through it and you approach it with a positive attitude and, and it's, it's really okay. So yeah. I, I think it's it's great for people to not let fear of that kind of experience hold them back because they've got so much value to share 
and so many, you know, helpful things to say um, that it would be a shame if they don't, you know, speak out just because they're worried about that kind of a negative reaction. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that that what you're saying there, it sounds like what happened was more to do with that other person than anything to do with you. It was him having a chance to basically kick the cat. <laughs> he chose you and your social media posts to just have a little vent on. And that's what tends to happen. And um, it's unfortunate. It shouldn't happen, really, should it? We, sh- we shouldn't do that. But there's that word should. There's lots of things we shouldn't do. But I love the way that you handled that, the way that you were able to then go back to him. And that will have formed a connection. He will remember you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing too is that we're kind of used to um, seeing a lot of negative comments or a lot of controversy online. Like if we're reading a news article and then make the terrible mistake of looking at the comments, right? Or if you're on YouTube and you look at the comments, you're like, oh my God. But the thing is, is those are usually people, whether it's, you know, the New York Times or, you know, a, a famous person on YouTube, they have a really broad audience that is like so wide. And so they then get a lot of the negativity because they're talking whenever they talk, it's to like a bazillion people. But the people who are listening to this podcast, they do have people who listen to them, but it's a much more specialized group of people who are listening for a particular reason. And so the risk of having really negative controversial types of you know, pushback from people, I think is really a lot less because your audience is looking for what you're saying and your audience is, is, is smaller. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I have had people be worried about and something that has happened, and I only know of it happening just literally once or twice is somebody having an opinion about having to pay for therapy. Now I'm from the UK, as you might notice from my wonderful accent, but here in the UK, the way the system is, we've got the National Health Service. And therefore, for a lot of people, if they have issues with their mental health and the physical health, they can go to the GP and they can get some help via the health service. Well, the health service, unfortunately, is a little bit broken sometimes. And people having problems with their mental health might go to the health service and have to be go have to go on a long waiting list. Um So people are frustrated about that because obviously nobody should really have to wait for six months to go on a waiting list to learn about how to, you know, something to do with their mental health. So sometimes if somebody's cross about that and the timing is all wrong, they might say something about having to pay. And I've known, um, like I said, I've only known this a couple of times, but for the counsellor where that's happened, it's really hit them hard because I think for many of us, we have a, there's an, there's very often a mis- an issue about money mindset when we come in. When we're in a business that's helping people, it's not unusual to have a little bit of a money mindset issue, a little bit of a a little bit of a guilt about taking money off people that need help. And I don't think that's unusual. So of course, when that happened, it really shocked them, and it, it shocked them to the core, and they felt extremely. Um, defensive and it put them off posting on social media for quite a long time 
So I would say if that ever happens, if you're ever unlucky enough for that to happen, the way to deal with that particular incidence is to agree with them and say, I agree. I think it's dreadful that people have to pay to have something like this. But unfortunately, because the system is broken, the only way that I can help people is for me to get paid or something, you know, something along those words. But sometimes by agreeing with somebody and saying, yeah, I I agree, I think this is dreadful, that can help them as well. That can help you and it can help them because it takes that that sting out of them. They realise that actually they're not angry with you, they're angry with the system. So that's another way that you can you can maybe respond to a potential angry comment. But of course, well, we don't I'm, get many. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness, right? Um, thank I, goodness. I, you know, speaking speaking of of money related issues, which by the way t- certainly ties into that imposter process that we you talked about earlier. Um, I don't know if you find this to be true, but I find that therapists will either undervalue themselves and be uncomfortable with talking about money matters, like you said, pull back, maybe pull back in other areas as well um, in their own insecurity, so so to speak. Um, And then probably less so, but still I see this, they, there are those that are on the other side of the same coin where they overvalue themselves and they're, um, there's not a, there, there's not a, you got to find that room in between, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree in terms of, um, and I love how you just said, you know, let's talk to the clients about that and get, and, and explain it to them and get their view and, and, and make it a really part of the clinical process, even if we have to. Mm-hmm. There's a book called, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a book called um, You Ask, They Answer. They ask, you answer. They ask, you answer. I'm sure you know the book. Mm -hmm. And it's all about um, asking customers um, for their opinion and and helping customers. And that kind of leads into content marketing, which is, of course, ultimately answering the questions that people put out there. And I was listening to that the other day when I was out with my dog, as you do. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great to actually write write a blog post about why counsellors charge what they do and the benefits of going to private practice and because sometimes I think sometimes we can have people what I see often is people that are highly 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 qualified and trained and experienced charging exactly the same as somebody that's just just qualified and I think that I think there's a difference I think there's a difference there so I was talking to somebody about this the other day, actually, about how that can potentially make it harder for people that are just starting out in business because they're charging the same as somebody else that's experienced. And therefore, somebody looking at the two would automatically go for the one who's more experienced at the same price. I don't know if this is making sense. I don't know if it I'm makes just perfect sense. No, I understand what you're saying for sure. When people don't charge what they're worth, it kind of makes it seem like everybody's the same. It makes yes. it seem like it, there's no value to the experience that people have. And it makes it harder for people who are going to charge less in order to kind of get their foot in the door and get those first couple of clients. They yeah. don't have a advantage to offer because everybody is kind of, yeah, no, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. And if you're not careful, it becomes a race to the bottom. Yes. Trying to undercut people or not putting your prices up. I don't see an awful lot with the people that I work with. I don't see a lot of people that do the other side of it, of charging too much 
it tends to be the other side of not charging enough. That that's kind of my experience, or giving um, a lot of concessions, maybe, um, or even volunteering long after they've qualified. That's another thing that can sometimes happen, which is of course their choice, absolutely, if that's what they want to do. Um, I don't know if that's answered your question at all. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, no, I, th- I think it does. I, yeah, I think I think it does. And I think, you, you know, when you made that comment about people just starting out charging the same amount, it made me think about, um, I, I have a former student when, you know, I used to teach a private practice class at the university and I have a former student and we, we I keep in touch with a lot of my students and she um, emailed me and is, and I learned by sort of by accident that um, she is actually getting paid more by an insurance company. You know, in the United States, we have these, these insurers and some, some practitioners use insurance and some do private pay without insurance and some do a hybrid of that. And she is getting paid more um, and has been in, the, been in private practice for five, six years than I'm getting paid, even though I've renegotiated um, my contract with this insurance company many times. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of her. <laughs> I mean, obviously <laughs> what, what I taught her was good because she told me she's been negotiating, you know, the heck out of these contracts, but there's a, there's, there's um, it's confusing in the marketplace for con- the consumer because they don't really know what they're getting. And then to your point, Jane, uh, and I agree with you, more people undervalue than overvalue for sure. Uh, that basically maybe people starting out, should they charge a little bit less so that they have room to build so they don't price themselves out of the market later in their career? Because the question comes up for me, is mental health becoming unaffordable for even the middle class? And that's that's something to think about, you know. What is the what is an average that people pay over in the States? It's interesting because we we do the same thing, really, but it's very different, isn't it, the way it's all set up? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, it depends on if you are in Manhattan um, versus Denver or, um, you know, uh, Maryland, where where Sarah is is from versus, you know, Los Angeles. So obviously in these bigger markets, um, you know, the the cost for therapy per hour – for a master's level, master's degree level clinician, not PhD level, but master's degree level clinician in those larger markets could be up to $300 an hour and maybe wow. even a little yeah. bit more. For And that would be for somebody that's fairly experienced. You look at the Denver market where I'm from in, in Colorado and, you know, somebody who's been in the field for 10 to 20 years, and you'll see, a, you'll see everything from 150 an hour up to 275 an hour. I'm yeah. kind of right in the middle. I'm still doing clinical work and I'm kind of right in the middle. And I've been doing it for 22 years in private practice or roughly that amount and, and in the field longer. And so I think it I think it varies. I think a lot of young people don't want to be on insurance panels. And so they start out and their fees are a little bit on the high side and what's been surprising to me is that they're getting, they're getting their fees. And so that I'm on one level, I'm happy about that because, um, 
you know, these, these, these younger people are coming into the field and they're not afraid to charge what their value is. But when you, when you put it up against the people who have been in the field for 20 years, um, it's, it's exactly what you said earlier. The seasoned veterans probably aren't charging enough and I'm sure there's a market for them. Um, but it is, it is driving the co- the overall cost of therapy up. And that's a concern. I don't know if you, what you see in, in the UK, is it similar there? Uh, in the UK, if you are in the London area, then you can charge more. And I think that you'd probably be charging anything upwards of £75 an hour, which compared to what you're talking about is still pretty low. But in the in the rest of the country, it's still there's I think it'll be anything from about £35, which is incredibly low. I'd say the average is about £45 to £50 and up. So the average is £45 to £50, which I still think most people are undercharge, undercharging for what they do, for what income they need to be able to live the life that they need to. Um, yeah, I do. I do think that there's a lot of people that are undercharging. You know, and, I think it's interesting. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think it's interesting because, um, you know, we're talking about imposter syndrome and then we're talking about, oh, well, there are people who are just starting out and then there are people who are, have more expertise. But I wonder if part of the issue is that it's very hard for a lot of practitioners to view themselves as an expert, even when they have a lot of that experience, even when they're you know, they have a specialized knowledge or, or are really, really good at what they do. But when they look at themselves, they don't see the value there because of imposter syndrome. Do you think that that's the case? Well, I think you're right. And what I see a lot is that you know what it's like when you love what you do and you see a piece of training and you think, oh, I've got to go learn about that. And you see a piece of CPD and you think, I'm going to learn about that. There's so much CPD around that. Um, that you kind of want to do everything, but it kind of reminds you that you don't know everything. And of course you don't know everything because that's impossible. I mean, one of the things that I, a sort of quote that I particularly like, I don't know if you know Denise Duffield-Thomas, money mindset expert. Um, She's fantastic. Check her out. She's got a book called Get Rich Lucky Bitch, which always sounds like it's going to be talking about gold taps and being extravagant, but it isn't. It's just about knowing your worth. And she she has a quote where she says, um, "Don't be the guru, be the be the contributor." So if there's so if you're worried about going into social media, worried about blogging, but you think, "Well, I don't know enough. I can't call myself an expert." Well, don't call yourself an expert. Just be a part of the conversation. So, for example, if we take the subject of anxiety. There's nobody going to know everything about how to help somebody with anxiety. It's a massive subject. You couldn't possibly, if you did training every week for the rest of your life. And I find that the more I learn, the more I realize that I don't know. So there's that happens as well, isn't there? So I think her phrase of, you know, don't try to be the guru. Don't try to be, don't try to be the expert. Be someone that's just being a part of the con- part of the conversation and contributing to that conversation. And if you're contributing to, to that conversation, then that means that people will kind of see you as an expert. So you're not having to go, hey, I'm an expert. People will start to see you as an expert because the fact that you're in that conversation, sharing knowledge, 
makes you stand out as somebody that knows about that and is interested about it and is constantly learning about it. So for me, if you're worried about saying you're an expert, which I I personally hate it as well, I would never call myself an expert, but I do really join in the contribution, uh, 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 contribute to the, the subject. So like with marketing, I love marketing. I don't know everything about marketing. How could I? It's impossible. I mean, Sarah, you're amazing, but I bet you don't know everything about websites because how could you? Things change all the time. And so, uh, yeah, don't put yourself under pressure to be an expert, I think. Just join in the conversation and, and, and enjoy that process as well. Enjoy having a conversation with people about these issues that are so, so interesting for you. I love that philosophy because I teach my consultees and I wrote about this in my book too, is that you you don't want to have one thing that you do only. In other words, I I have this like bullseye model, right? Like where maybe there's two or three things that hit the bullseye for you. And it's really about um, passion and interest, right? This is what I'm curious about. This is what I'm passionate about. These are the, this is where I, my leanings go. And sometimes I don't know if you would agree, Jane, but we, we stumble upon these things by accident, right? I mean, think about the, think of, I mean, how did you get into all this marketing and, and working with practitioners to the point that you gave up your clinical practice to do this? How did, what, what happened for you? Was this an accident? Was it purposeful? How, how did that happen? Everything is an accident for me. <laughs> Everything's an accident for me. And I think, isn't it like that for most people? Are there many people that sit down at school at 12 and say, do you know what I want to be? You right. might want to be an astronaut, but realistically, do we know? And I think we just go through a period, you know, a process of accidents and will we, until we finally get to a point where we go, yes, this is kind of the thing. So, I mean, for me, I'd had a couple of um, like, I was self-employed with just a couple of small businesses before. And then I started as a counsellor. And like I say, I just started getting really interested in, well, how am I going to find clients? I've tried this thing in the past. Will this work as a counsellor? And so I just really got interested in it and got more and more and more interested in it. And then both of the, you know, the two things fit together. So my passion for counselling met my my passion for marketing. And it was like a match made in heaven. But within that... I've been through loads of different cul-de-sacs and and dead ends. So I started doing um, programs. I started doing coaching. I started doing courses. And ultimately, this is why I started with the membership, because I thought, well, I could do a course about blogging. But then for people to be able to blog, they need to know about their niche. And for people to know about their niche, then uh, then they'd need to work on their website to talk about their website. And then you'd need to have social media and it all comes together. And I thought, well, your average person to pay to pay to do a course in all those different things, it starts to get extortionate, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't, I as well like all of the different things. So having a membership keeps the price down so everybody can come and join. But it covers all of the different things as well. And so I've been through lots of different cul-de-sacs and dead ends and loads of roundabouts and tried lots of different things and we were actually saying earlier that's one of the things that's interesting about being self-employed because you can pivot at any time you can try something give it a good old go 
like the podcast. I'm going to try podcasting. I'm going to give it my best shot and give it some time, see how it goes. Ultimately, if it's not something that's right for me, then I'll do something else. And that's the beauty of self-employment, isn't it? I love everything that you've just said. And what it really sounds like to me in a lot of ways is having a growth mindset and the idea that when you're trying things out, you don't have to, there's not a like, I have to get this right every time. You learn from all these different experiences and you try one thing, you know, maybe for the people who are listening, they try blogging or they try, you know, writing on one of the websites like the Psychology Today or whatever, publishing a blog there or on their own website or whatever. And maybe they do it for a little while and they learn from that process enough to after a bit say, okay, so now I want to take what I've learned, but I'm going to do something different for whatever reason. Like this isn't what I want to keep doing. I want to do something different, but it's not a loss. It's not a failure. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, an opportunity to learn and then use that to make, you know, new Take, new, take a new direction and, and do something else that's going to be even more successful. So Absolutely. I think that's a great, and I think having the kind of mindset that you're describing also helps people to not ha- get kind of decap- like, like incapacitated by imposter syndrome because you're not setting yourself up for these big failures. Mm. You're just experimenting and trying things and growing mm. over time. Yeah, it's it's not it's not like a New Year's resolution where you say right exactly. Definitely, I am definitely going to do this forever. You right. know, it's just like <laughs> well, I'm just going to try it out. I mean, something I've seen lately is I think that there's been a lot of free courses about about how to go live, and I think people have been doing the free courses and maybe deciding it's not for them. For some people, I mean, my experience of going live was. I dreaded the thought. I hated the thought. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't, didn't, didn't want to do it. Eventually, my tenacity to say I'm not going to be put off (laughs) meant that I did do it. And I thought, actually, that was quite fun. And that often happens, doesn't it? I think with people going live, they go, no, that's not for me. And then they try it. And it's like, wow, that was great. I could just speak. and, And it was fantastic. But equally, on the other side of that, there are people that are they, they try it and they hate it. And what I'm kind of hearing from people is, I don't want to go live. It's a real fear. They think that I'm going to say to them, you have to go live. And it's like, no, I won't tell you to do anything if you don't want it. You know, if you don't want to do something, why would you do it kicking and screaming? And because then all you're going to be is that you're, you're just going to show the world your worst, aren't you? You're just going to show yourself at your most anxious, at your most self-conscious. And that's not going to help you. So I do hear a lot of people who say, I I know I've got to go live. I know I've got to go live. And it's like, well, no, try it. Give it a go. Don't just dismiss it out of turn. So give it a go. And if you don't like it, well, you tried it. Go on to the next thing and see if you enjoy that more. Because if you're going to be in in business, if you're going to run a private practice, marketing is going to be massive, a massive part of, of what you do because you need to be constant. So you're going to avoid the feast and famine. So you need to make sure that you get a regular stream of, of clients contacting you. And the way to do that is, is consistency, isn't it? And the way to be consistent is to enjoy the thing that you do, because otherwise it will just go on your to-do list and you procrastinate, procrastinate about it like forever and it never, ever gets done. So enjoy the process is what I say. Find the things that you enjoy doing. That really is, that's it, isn't it? That's for me, it is anyway. That's what I think it's all about. 
we we expect our clients to come into our offices, whether virtually or in person, and be vulnerable and courageous in their sharing uh, their issues. And yet, we as therapists and counselors sometimes struggle with our own vulnerability and courage when it comes to the things you're talking about. And so I think what you're saying is um, take a page out of what we expect our clients to do and do that business-wise and really be courageous and try some new things like we would ask our clients to do in their healing and wellness process. Mm, Absolutely. I sometimes say, if your client was sitting in front of you and said, I'm really scared about doing this thing, what would you say to them? Sometimes we, sometimes taking our own advice is, is the best advice. Not always, but sometimes it is. <laughs> well, and I think for so many therapists, they're so skilled at helping other people of, overcome those kinds of obstacles, but then overcoming them personally can be just as difficult for them as it is for anybody. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And going back to the um, being an expert thing, we've talked about being an expert and I've talked about how important it is to be seen as an expert by getting involved into the conversation. And I think that despite the fact we don't want to say that we're experts or necessary, and some people do, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but I think it's important that we're seen as experts because ultimately we're offering them a a really important personal service. So I always think there are some some people, some some professions, some some jobs that you'd you'd only want to have done by an expert. So you wouldn't want to go to a tattoo artist that's not an expert. (laughs) You wouldn't want to go to a dentist that's not an expert. And you wouldn't want to trust your mental health to somebody who's not an expert. So that's why I think that even though it might feel awkward to be visible and to let people know that you know what you're talking about, and there are loads of ways of doing that, I think it's really important to share that with people so that they get a sense of, it's that that know, like, and trust factor, isn't it? And I know, Sarah, that when you talked to me before, you were talking about how you can really help to boost that, that trust through what you put on your website. And it was so interesting because it was something I'd not really thought about before. But the way that you word your website, what you share on your website, the way it's put together can really build on that trust. And I think everything we do in marketing is, you know, partly is helping people to trust us so that they'll trust us to come and sit and tell us their, tell us their story, which is difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that there's so much really, really good advice there. And I'm sure that in your group, this is something that you discuss and that people who are in your group are dealing with. Can you tell us a little bit more about the groups that you, the group that you run, the membership? I just love for our listeners to know more about it. Yeah, sure. Um, the membership, Grow Your Private Practice is what it's called. So the membership, it's it's got lots going on. So we've got the Private Practice Success Roadmap, and that's like a series of foundational courses. So it's got a course that's called the Foundation Course, and that's looking at foundational things, as it says, but it's also looking at niching, which I know is difficult for a lot of people. Um, I have a method called the Seedling Niche, and that's like getting a 
because it's grow your private practice. It's all about growing. So I've got a little icon called Sprout that's like a little seedling. So the seedling niche is kind of choosing a, a temporary niche, if you like. So I offer I offer ideas of particular. So it's like choose from anxiety, relationships, um, self esteem, grief, loss, and change, and then also children and young people and like couples. So if I know a lot of people really struggle with niching, don't they? So choose it like a temporary niche that's very broad. And then you can start doing your marketing and working with that niche. And then if you want to specialize more, then you can do that. But just get started with a niche because a niche is going to help you. So that's in the foundation course. Then there's a course about um, websites. There's a course about social media. There's a course about blogging. And there's a course about um, something else that's gone out of my head at the moment. There's a... (laughs) What a life! There's so many remember. courses. There's, There's so, so many, many. Yeah. So those are the foundational ones. Those those are the the ones that kind of um, quick start course. That's what I've got a quick start source course to help people get started quickly without the aid of a website. Which I know you probably don't agree with, Sarah. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. But um, so I've got that, and then we also have monthly stuff. So monthly, I have a question and answer thing, so people can get the questions answered. Hopefully, there's also what I call the um, mindset matters, which is like a coaching call to look at mindset. And then every month, I also either do a workshop myself, or I have a guest expert come in and talk about um, something. And obviously, you were a guest there as well, Sarah. On top of that, we have resources and we have a community of peers and it's a really, it's a really friendly and supportive community. I mean, it's just a wonderful community. There's never, I've never witnessed any bad, any bad feeling or anybody having like intense debates about anything. It's, it's really a lovely group and that's it really. It's got, it's got lots going on. And of course, because I've been doing it for three years and I've been doing up to four workshops a week. There are workshops available in there, the replays of all sorts of things from workshops about mindset, money mindset, organization, you know, different social media, lots and lots of things, lots and lots of things. So if anybody's interested in that, please come and have a look. You'd be very, very (laughs) welcome. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It sounds like such a tremendous resource with just so much there. That's amazing. And then you have your own podcast. Have which we hope people will check out and it's also it's the same name right grow your private yeah, practice it's the grow your private practice show and then I have the grow your private practice book as well so that's out there on Amazon if anybody wants to have a look at that different to Howard's though I think Howard's looks more at um getting started and and all of that sort of I I don't I'm not very good at the official things I I look really at the marketing so it's like if you've got a if you're insured, if you've got somewhere to work, and if you're qualified, how do you get the clients? So I'm from I'm from that point, really. Yeah. That also sounds like a great resource. And we are very excited to be giving out a couple copies of your book. And if you're listening and you'd like a free copy of Jane's amazing book, all you need to do is leave a review of this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, take a screenshot of that review and send it to us in an email. We'll put all the information for that in the show notes. 
And once we get your email with the screenshot of your review and information about where to send the copy of Jane's book, we will send it to you. But it's first come, first serve. So don't wait um, because the book sounds amazing. And I'm sure that um, a few of our listeners will be really excited to get to look at it. So, um, and we'll also put in the show notes information about Jane's program, uh, her membership, all of that. So be sure to check out all of her amazing stuff. And Jane, thank you so much. We loved having you on today. It was just fabulous. You shared so much really, really valuable information. Oh, it's been fantastic. Thank, again, thank you so much for having me. I love coming talking to you. I really, you know, I, when I sit and talk to you, Sarah, I could talk to you for hours. So it's always lovely talking to you. So thank you. It's been an honor to be here. And I hope that this has been helpful for people. It definitely has. So thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye.